0: And, and, and them falling off the cliff and them getting in the form of discipline and consequences. But don't look at that as harshness. I mean, in Hebrews 12, it says this, that God disciplines those he loves. And so discipline is a wonderful thing. Discipline reveals that we are loved, that we are God's children. I mean, the writer of Hebrews also says that it's not enjoyable. Well, he's, he's not going to pretend. He said, enjoyable is, uh, uh, Discipline's not enjoyable at the time it's happening, but it produces fruit in your life. And so God is using the form of discipline and consequences to try to continue to speak mercy because his discipline is his mercy. What were the messages of the prophets? They were similar in nature. It was a call to repentance. Over and over, you have the call to repentance. Get right with God. Turn from your way of living and turn to God's way of living. Make him Lord. The song we just sang last, surrender. Stop following the customs of the world around you and follow God once again. And so the messages would include natural consequences in in the midst of what was going on. God says, you know, he would send these messengers and say, if if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And he would speak directly to the people. And so today we pick up the story during this time in history. Uh, The the chapter in the story, if you're reading the story, is called the beginning of the end because we see in Scripture that as a nation, Israel is completely torn apart. I'm going to give you a little bit of historical context because I think it's important that we know um, what is happening and then the messages that are given and then what we see um, kind of unfold here. But they're being... Uh, torn apart as a nation, we will specifically look at the prophet Isaiah today and his ministry to Israel. Beautiful ministry. The reason being is that he had some very hard words of judgment from God. I mean he 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 was he was a I mean the, the, again you did not want to be a prophet in the Old Testament. He had some very very hard words of judgment and consequence from God, but he also offers hope and ultimately points them to the coming Messiah, Jesus. And so you have, and that's why the bad news and the good news. He prophesies about the Messiah more than any other prophet. And I thought this was kind of cool. I did my a little little math here, but he prophesies about Jesus around fourteen times, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah. This is about seven hundred plus years before Jesus comes. And so he prophesies about 14 times of Jesus, and the odds of just eight of them being fulfilled by one man in history after the time of the prophecy is 10 to the 28th power. That's a one with 28 zeros. One in 10 to the 28th power. That's a great bet. The return on that is great. I'm not telling anybody to bet in here. Please understand what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's the odds of that happening. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. The good news is that we can rely we can count on Jesus. This is 700 plus years before he comes and he fulfilled all of them. And so today we're going to look at Isaiah. Bad news and good news. You you, you ever play that game with people? You know, I have some bad news and I have some good news. And then you say, you know, what do you want first? What, what, is usually, what do usually people want first? Oh, it's, it's kind of, I thought people would just kind of, uh, some people say, I, I think sometimes we want the bad news first to get it out of the way, right? Unless you're different. Maybe you it's like, give me the good news. I, I, I want to be, be in a good mood before the bad news. I, I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's where you are. But a lot of times we say, okay, you know, I got bad news. What do you want first? So give me the bad news. And we say, all right, here's the bad news. And we give that to them, and then we say, but here is the good news. That's a great, it's a fun game that parents play with their kids, too, you know, especially if you have, like, something great on the other end of it. Here's some bad news, here's some good news, and, you know, the bad news is they kind of droop their shoulders, and the good news is they kind of come alive. Well, you know, somewhat Isaiah is that good news, the bad news, good news prophet. You know, the heeding of warnings, sometimes we wish we would have listened or wish people would have listened to us when we have given a warning. Have you ever been there? You wish you would have heeded a warning? How many have had that story in your life? Oh, come on. Get your hands up, people. You know better than that. I mean, come on. We've got some pure people in here. God bless you. you guys are awesome. Don't you wish you would have heeded some warnings? And then, doesn't your heart ache as when you tried to warn and they didn't listen? If you do this, it's not going to go well with you. And sometimes we've seen it on a small scale, sometimes on a large scale, but it's painful either for us or people maybe we're trying to do it. This is kind of the context of what is happening. If you do this, this will happen. This was what was going on there. And a lot of times, most of the prophets had this theme. One of, you know, Jeremiah, again, I, I, I love his heart because he was called the weeping prophet because it, it, it ached him to see that the people, he would say, you know, guys, please, God has good for you. And they would do their own thing. And it grieved his heart to see them come under the consequences of making their own decisions. And so some points that are happening during this time, again, just a little context for you. Israel you know, the, the, the Israel and Judah had split. You have Israel with 10 tribes. You have Judah with two. Israel had no good kings. Assyria crushed Israel in 722 B.C. Uh, that was just one of those times where the people were bent on doing their own thing. And God said, if you do, you were, you're going to get destroyed by other nations. And so their response was, we'll do our own thing, and so they're destroyed. And so uh, Assyria crushes Israel in that time. Judah had a few good kings, which enabled them to survive 150 more years after Israel went down. In the midst of the third little, the third point that that, that we're going to look at is in the midst of gross idolatry, sin, and injustice, God called prophets to warn his people. We talked a little bit about that. And then the fourth thing is this, and we're going to jump into this more in depth this morning, is Isaiah prophet judgment, but also hope, the coming of the Messiah, the suffering of the Messiah, and then the restoration of all things. It's interesting, the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters and the entire Bible has 66 books. You know, kind of a parallel, maybe I don't know. Not that he was writing chapters and numbers. We, we got that later on. But Assyria defeats Israel, but doesn't just take over Israel. They would they deported half the people and imported foreigners. And and then have you ever heard of the lost tribes of Israel? Does that? Phrase kind of ring a bell. This is where we get that. This is the lost tribes of Israel. This is why they were lost. Assyria scatters them and then brought foreigners to water down the culture of the other half. For Judah, they had mostly bad kings, but the Bible says for the sake of David. And you would hear that phrase, for the sake of David, God gave them a few good kings who served him. And then Judah was finally overthrown. They were taken into exile together and later returned together, which enabled them to retain their identity. That is the reason why we have Jews today, because they come from Judah. The 10 tribes were lost, and God's people were reduced to just the Jews, the tribe of Judah. So a little context, a little history for you if you're into that sort of thing. This is kind of helps you understand where they're at. The, The the nation, as a nation, Israel has spiraled, ripped into, they are out of control and they are literally lost and scattered throughout the world at the time. And so in the midst of this, this is historical context, in the midst of this, we have Isaiah's calling as the prophet to the nation of Israel. And I want to look at his calling from Isaiah chapter 6. I want you to kind of hear this. There's going to be some scripture here today that I want you to really grab hold of. Isaiah 6, this is his calling. In this time of context, it is a dark, hard, difficult time for Israel. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah is writing this. High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is the awesomeness of God. Above him were Seraphim, each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth, whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, of the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is an awesome picture that we have. What's Isaiah's response? Not, hey, that's cool. Woe to me. He was in the very presence in the glory of God. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live in among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand in which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So cleansing. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this to the people. Be ever hearing and never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far and away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth oak leaves stumps, and that's important to remember, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Isaiah's calling, some of you are familiar with that passage. Of, is the Lord is calling him as a prophet. He has a pretty amazing encounter. So this is a great time of distress. He even starts it by saying... He even starts it by saying, Uzziah has died. He's recognizing that it's a dark time. Uzziah was a great king, and he had died, and Assyria was breathing down their necks. It couldn't be any worse. He goes into the temple. Can you imagine being him at the time? Israel is on the brink of of utter destruction. A godly king has just died, and he goes into the temple. And so the circumstances aren't good. Isaiah goes to worship the Lord, and in that place he sees the Lord, and not just his presence, but a manifestation of God himself, and he was seated on the throne. When you're in trouble, the best place to go is to the place of worship in the presence of God. Getting your eyes on God instead of your circumstances. You see Isaiah's response is, things are bad, I need a different perspective. When you're experiencing distress, and here's that contrast, when you're experiencing depression, when you're experiencing hopelessness, it's good to know that God is on the throne seated. In the word, God is usually seated. There's a couple times he stands isn't that interesting that it would say that he's seated? You know what that means? He's got it all under control. He is not pacing back and forth, wringing his hands, going, Oh my goodness, I didn't see this coming. He is a God that is completely and totally in control. He is seated. And he's not flustered or freaking out. He's not calling the angels saying, you know, I'm confused, what should we do about this? In your situation, in your circumstance, God is in control and he sees your heart and we must get our eyes on him. And That's not to diminish whether it's something small or big that maybe today there's a level that seems out of control. Obviously, we look around the world and we look into a world that seems to be spiraling out of control. But God is not out of control. Isaiah has this vision to encourage him. His vision helps him to get life in perspective, to get a new lens. Because when you're in crisis, the crisis often gets very big and God gets small. Does it not? I've been there. I understand that. You lose perspective. But this... this Vision that Isaiah has, it helps put things in perspective that God is much bigger than our circumstance. And that is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to read, study, and meditate on God's word. It helps put things in perspective. It reminds us of the truth instead of filling our minds with fear. This is who God is. This is truth. I mean, Jesus even says that one of his titles is the living word, the word made flesh, This is where we see him come alive and he helps us to get our eyes off of our crisis and on to him. So Isaiah regains perspective, but he's so overcome by God's holiness. What is his response? He doesn't feel worthy to be in God's presence. This is that place almost of repentance, of God's presence bringing us to a place of repentance. It's a a great place to be. And so God foreshadows a cleansing and he sends this angel to touch his lips and a piece of coal symbolizing that God cleansed him because he says, whoa, I'm undone. I'm a man of uh, unclean lips. I dwell among a people. He was recognized and we are broken here. The whole nation's out of control. We are lost and we are broken and I think that that is just a good place for when we come into a place of surrender to God to understand that God, without you, I'm a broken down mess and God restores him, and he forgives him. Then, the, then it's interesting, the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he says what? He just got through saying, woe to me, I'm, I'm, I'm undone. And then he goes, here am I, send me. Because we don't have to stay in a place of shame when we have been cleansed. Jesus cleanses us to make us useful for his kingdom. We don't have to stay condemned and under shame. We are cleansed and it makes us ready to be used by God. So here's the message and this is kind of an interesting message from God. He says, go and tell the people this, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand, and then they would turn and be healed. Does that not sound kind of confusing? But well, what you're seeing here is this seems harsh, but God is somewhat being sarcastic with them. Obviously, he wants them to turn and be healed, but he sees their heart and hearts as they are bent on doing what they're ever gonna, whatever they're gonna do. Their heart is already set toward running off the cliff. But he still speaks. Because Isaiah asks, you know, the Lord, he says, He says this, for how long, Lord? How long should I speak? How long should I give them this message? And and the Lord says, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, the fields are ruined, ravaged, and the Lord has sent everyone far and away, and the land is utterly forsaken. In other words, God's saying, we're we're never going to stop warning the people. We'll never stop telling them and giving them an opportunity. We're going to give them an opportunity to repent and turn from their way of doing it to my way of doing it. You know, we don't want them to have the excuse, no one ever told me. I never knew. You know, God forbid that anyone come into our midst and we don't give them an opportunity to turn from their sins and turn to God. It'll ultimately be because God will not overthrow free will, but he get, we should give people an opportunity to turn to God. And so... The prophets were to warn them until the very end. And again, that is our calling, to spread the good news in word and in deed. And what does Paul say about that? He said, go be a fragrance. He said, you're going to be a fragrance to some and a stench to others. Some people don't want to hear it, and that's okay. It's not our calling to figure out who we stink to and who we smell good to. That's not our, we just go and we spread the good news in word and deed. And lift up Jesus. And so this was the essence of Isaiah's ministry to give you, again, his calling and what he was calling the people to, to give the people the word of the Lord. You're gonna have consequences for your sins. You're gonna go into captivity. And this is where we begin to see the prophecy that they are going to be scattered and go into captivity. But he says, I will restore you. I will heal you if you come back. I want to restore. I want to heal. My heart is to heal you but you have to let me. That's that place of surrender and lordship. Lordship means he's in control and I'm not. A lot of times we figure out, we're trying to figure out in Christianity how I can love God and maintain an element of control. It doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. It's giving up control to him. And so here in Isaiah, we have bad news, good news. Isaiah prophesied for 50 years to Israel. So we're going to continue in chapter 6. God continues to describe his ministry and says this. And this is what, but as the terebinth and oak leaves stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So this is interesting to kind of cue in on that. So what's he saying here? When armies came through and they destroyed Israel and Judah, they cut down trees and they just left stumps. It was just a, it was just a part of saying this place is Desolate. I mean, we're taking, we're taking out people, and we're, just, we're taking out your, your forest, your trees, and, and it's just as people look over, you know, the, now that you're overlooking these stumps just to let you know the land is desolate, and so are you. It was a reminder of the destruction that had happened. However, God gives Isaiah a different interpretation for those stumps. Instead of letting those stumps remind them of destruction and hopelessness, he says those stumps should remind you that God's seed is still working. In fact, in the middle of this horrible time in history in the Old Testament, we get a glimpse of God's intentions again. Not just hope for them, but hope for all of us, because here we begin to see the promise of Jesus. This is where it gets really cool. If it hasn't been cool already, I know you guys are there but we're going to begin to see the good news. We're going to begin to see again throughout history from the beginning that the Bible is a story of about redemption through Jesus Christ. Watch this. So Isaiah begins to prophesy. All right, so we have the, the whole thing with the stump, right? So let's fast forward to chapter 11. Look at that. I just love that. First sentence, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And so life coming out of desolation, life coming out of destruction, saying, yeah, you see those stumps, and it's intended to remind you of destruction, but here's what God says. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? It's David's father. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit, branch being capitalized. Who are they talking about here? Jesus. Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. There is not hopelessness. There is not desolation. There is not just destruction. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. It's the first place we see Jesus. Can you imagine the good news that that would make Isaiah feel as he sees all of this happening? It says, God still has a plan. God is saying that out of a place of hurt, out of a place of pain, hopelessness, there is a promise. It's a promise of life. It's a promise of life found in Jesus. It's a promise that that, that Jesus is in control, that he is righteous, that he will be a good judge. That he's the one that's really calling the shots. We need to be reminded of this today and every day that some of us look at our lives and we see stumps. You know, the stumps that remind us of what could have been, regrets, wounds, and they associate us with a, a time of shame, and then we're reminded of desolation, and that's where I made that horrible decision in my life. That's when, when I was a child, this happened to me, and, and abuse or, or, or pain or some kind of brokenness or hopelessness, hopelessness, whether put on me or I put on myself. And it's a stump and it just, you come by a stump and they say there's no life. But we need to see that there's a shoot coming out of the stump. And it is the life of Christ that he wants to come into us in a place of hopelessness and despair. Man, I'm sorry, I'm the only one excited about this. God says that he is a God of resurrection, restoration and hope. Your life isn't over. You're not a washout. You're not a has-been. You're not used up. God has a new beginning, but it is found in the life of Christ. Out of that stump, a shoot will grow, and we have to understand that it's a life through Jesus Christ. There are consequences. There is discipline, but in Christ, that's not the end of the story. We can have hope. We can have life. So We continue to see the gospel unfold. What else does Isaiah say about Jesus? Let's look at Isaiah 7. Here's the context. You'll be familiar with this because we read this a lot of times in in the Christmas story. Here's the context in Isaiah 7. There's threat of invasion and destruction in the midst of this. But here's the the interesting thing. God says it's not going to happen. And Isaiah asked King Ahaz to ask God for a sign and that he would give it to him. How many of you guys would like that from God? You know, he says, like, ask for a sign and I'll give it to you. So in the midst of this, there's threat of destruction. God says, that's not going to happen. Isaiah have King Ahaz ask me for a sign. But then Ahaz's response is interesting. He said he was not going to ask for a sign because he doesn't want to test the Lord. Now, that sounds noble, but God said to do it. It's not noble. He's just being disobedient at this point. Well, I don't want to test the Lord. So then Isaiah's response to him, then Isaiah says, Here now, you house of David, is it not, not enough to try the patience of humans? So he's kind of rebuking Ahaz, saying, I, you know, God's asking this of you. Will you try to try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You didn't ask for it, but here's the sign. What's the sign? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. There's the good news. There's the shoot that's coming out of the stump that we see prophesied by Isaiah. Death, destruction, hopelessness, despair, but here's the the thing that you didn't ask for. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Here's the sign. Emmanuel's coming. Yahweh in the flesh among us. He is here. He will be with us. He will be among us. Emmanuel, God with us, here's the promise. So in the midst of chaos, the promise of Jesus. In your chaos, Jesus is there. Humble yourself and find him. He's there. Isaiah 9, let's fast forward a little bit, in case you're not liking that. We'll go somewhere else. Isaiah 9, here's the context. Chapter 8 concludes with warnings of the people they were consulting mediums. So they've basically gotten into witchcraft. They were consulting mediums in the land, trying to get words. And uh, So this is just far removed. God is saying, I want to be, be your God. I want to speak to you. I love you. I have a plan for your life. They would reject, rebel. They'd have consequences. So at this time, they're consulting mediums. They're just doing whatever to try. And so God is not pleased. So there's warnings of people consulting mediums instead of God. Again, they're running from him. They're doing their own thing which we are told leads them into deep darkness. And so they have so strayed from the path. And again, if you, if you rewind back, this didn't just, they didn't just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to be in utter darkness. See, the enemy is, 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 is more clever than that. It's, 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 it's little, little compromises, little veering off of the path in our lives. This is how he gets all of us. That's why Solomon, remember Solomon, Solomon had this revival with God when he begins his reign and he is in the presence of God and he sees some mighty things. But then you fast forward and he is serving the God of Moloch and Chemosh that would throw children into the fire to appease these gods. Well, he didn't just wake up one day and go there. There's a little compromise, little compromises to the point. Then you're out in utter darkness and you're trying to sometimes figure out how in the world you got here. That's where they're at. In this context, Isaiah 8, they are in deep darkness. And so Isaiah says this. Nevertheless, although there's darkness, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. And where was Jesus from? Galilee. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness... Have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. In other words, there is darkness. There's darkness in our world now. Later on, Isaiah 61, he says that darkness will come in the earth, a deep darkness over the peoples, but a light will shine forth. That's the good news. But in the dark, deep darkness, a light has dawned. And what is he talking about? You have enlarged the nation. And increase their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In other words, this is not going to go on forever. And then check this out in the midst of all that. Here's why we're going to have light. If you're looking for light, if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for answers in your life, here's the answer right here. And he says, here's why you're going to have light. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. What does that mean? He's going to be in charge. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing it, holding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what is he prophesying? Out of darkness comes a light. The light has a name. His name is Jesus. Even Jesus says to some of himself, I am the light of the world. If you want light in your darkness, surrender to Jesus. And listen to the promise. He came to give us peace because he's the prince of peace. He's the very definition of peace. He came to be our counselor. When we are going through things in darkness and depression, he is our counselor. He is not just our counselor, but he's also our father. And that's so important for us to remember that he is our father. He is not... Just a judge ruling. He is a righteous judge, but he is a father. And the things that he does in us and through us, if we see it from the hand of a father, that he deeply loves us and he wants for our best, he's the mighty God. His rule will last forever. With Jesus, we have an eternal hope and an eternal future. And at the end of it all, it says his, his reign will never end. He will be the one standing. If you're wondering, of all the religions in the world, all this chaos and darkness in the world, at the end of the age, one will be standing. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And so then, the, just like Isaiah, do you want your life or his life for you? And our calling is to be his light bearers because Jesus not only says of himself, I am the light of the world, but you be the light of the world. You go be light in darkness, pointing people to Jesus. And then how does God accomplish all of this redemption? How does he purchase our salvation? How does he display his love for us? This is probably one of the most Moving and telling prophecies about Jesus from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 7. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Remember that shoot? The shoot out of a dry ground or the shoot out of the stump? He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. In other words, when Jesus was on the earth, we need to understand that he didn't come with flowing robes and he wasn't this beautiful man that was, you know, seven feet tall that everybody would be going, you know, there's something different about that guy. He was average. He was ordinary. He became one of us. He did not have outward beauty to make people just be naturally drawn to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. This is his display of love. This is the price of redemption. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So that's what he did. And here's us, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity or sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shear silent, so he did not open his mouth. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We're doing our own thing, and here's God's response to that I will lay on Jesus the sins of us all. That's what we get in Christ. That's what we get in this whole thing of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, a a, a Christian. This is the good news. This is what we get. We don't get this from anything else. We cannot be good in our own self. We cannot try to be just better humans. We are not good in ourselves. We are like sheep. We've gone astray. We do our own thing. And God the Father laid on him, the Son, the iniquity of us all. And he was pierced, broken, broken. And crush for us. A little later in that, thing, it says this, and this is so hard to read, but it says it was the Lord's good pleasure to crush him. It seems like almost like horrible divine child abuse or something, but it's not. He said it was the good pleasure because that was his plan to win us back. And it's interesting that this this prophecy is not just for Israel and Judas. This is a pervasive message throughout Scripture. And we're like sheep going astray, like Israel, doing our own thing. And God's response to that is to lay on Jesus the sins of the world. And he bore it willingly. Like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't say, you know, this is wrong and I am... Being unfairly treated here and I'm being unjustly judged, he went to the cross willingly. While we were in sin, Jesus died. The gospel isn't about being better. It's about realizing that we're not good and he is. And That we need a savior, that he purchased salvation and he invites us to surrender our lives back to him. And so, Nearly 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah prophesied that he would come. Hope in the midst of despair, light in the midst of darkness. This is the God that we serve. And there is bad news and there's good news. Here's the bad news. You want the bad news first? I'm hoping you say yes. I'm not going to give you the good news first. Loses the dramatic effect. Here's the bad news. You can do your own thing, and you can go your own way. You can reject the priceless gift that's been purchased for you. You can live your own life. You can call the shots, and you can be in control. The bad news is that at the end of that road is a cliff, and it's destruction. Here's the good news. We can humble ourselves and humble our hearts and say, Jesus, I recognize what you did for me. I recognize that I have gone my own way, and I want to turn to you today. And in the simplicity of that, in the sincerity of that in our hearts, he comes, he gives us new life, and he sets us on a different course. And we get that because of him. And his mercies are extended to us today. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, there's no way in the world that we can wrap our heads and our minds around the beauty of the gospel. Lord, the value um, of what you did for us, God, it just, Lord, when we think about it, it's just absolutely overwhelming that you would do that for us. Lord, I pray that we would forsake the bad news in our lives today. We would run from the bad news and we would run from our way of doing things. Lord, we admit, we confess today. I encourage you in in the quietness of your own heart is to search your own heart. Get right with God today. Just as the prophets would say, get right with God. Repent. Repent means to turn from your way of doing it and give control of your life to God. Lord, we confess that we are like sheep. We've gone astray. We've turned our own way. And, Lord, but we also understand that the Father laid on you our sins. And you bore it. You bore the torture. You bore the ridicule. You bore the, not only the physical punishment, but the spiritual heaviness and the weight of sin, the sins of mankind upon yourself. So, Lord, we thank you, and we, Lord, just search our own hearts, and we give you, God, today control, because we want the good news for our lives. We want to live life the way you want us to live. We want to live daily in your presence, and, Lord, daily keeping our eyes on you, daily forsaking our way and going your way. Help us to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.